Welcome to Velocity, the Vista Chamber podcast. I'm your host, Vista Chamber CEO, Rachel Beld, and it's my privilege to interview the movers, shakers, and changemakers impacting our Vista community and beyond. Today, our guest is Tasha Berner Horvath, our California State Assembly member. She was elected in November of 2018 and reelected in 2020. She represents the 76th District, which encompasses Camp Pendleton, Oceanside, Vista, Carlsbad, and Encinitas. Uh, Tasha is the newly appointed chair for the Assembly Committee on Arts, Entertainment, Sports, Tourism, and Internet Media, and the Kitchen Sink. Uh, She also serves on several other committees doing really important work, and I'll put the full list of those in the show notes. Uh, Before serving on the State Assembly, Tasha served as a local city council member, businesswoman, and former PTA leader. And as a third-generation North County resident, she served as a member of the city's planning commission prior to her election to the Encinitas City Council in 2016. So Tasha's worked for global Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, higher education institutions. She's also the proud mom of two children. And in response to her daughter's struggle with sensory processing disorder, Tasha started a business designing sensory-friendly clothing for little girls. So I'm honored to welcome you today. Thank you for joining me, Assembly Member Tasha Berner Horvath. Thank you, Rachel. And you can just say Tasha, okay. you know, Berner Thank Horvath. You. We don't even know how I get elected with the name Berner Horvath, but I you appreciate that you got it right. Yes. So. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here, Tasha. I really appreciate it. It's always nice to see you. Um, so you have a really extensive resume with a lot of experience and accomplishments. So did you always know that you wanted to run for political office? I actually never wanted to be (laughs) on local city council or be elected. I studied political science, but my specialty was like how um, German political conservative political parties adopted green policies. Because if you want to change the planet or save the planet, everybody has to believe climate change is real. And so that was my specialty. So I'm very good at like multi-party systems, comparative politics, war, international relations, like that's the type of stuff I did. And so it wasn't until like seven years ago when I was staying home with my daughter. She she was diagnosed when she was three with sensory processing disorder. And by the time she was five, um, it was about six months before she was going to go into school um, or a year and a half before she was going to go into school. um, She really, she couldn't wear clothes, right? Like she couldn't leave the house. And if Mm -hmm. you can't wear clothes, you can't leave the house. You can't go to preschool, can't socialize, can't go on play dates. And so I got involved and I was staying at home with her and ensuring that she, you know, got to her occupational therapy appointments and all this stuff, which made a huge impact in her functionality. I mean, you've met my daughter, Maya, and and she's very open about it. She'll say, you know, sometimes I struggle, sometimes things are hard. And so I was a very bad stay-at-home mom and uh, started my, the business, uh, Maya and Me Homemade, uh, designing sensory-friendly clothing for little girls. But I also got involved in my local PTA, and it was taking us 45 minutes to pick up the kids from school, drop them off at school every day. And I was thinking about all the tailpipe emissions and all the time we were wasting. And so um, we people have been trying to get this one stop sign in near the kids' school. And we came in, they've been trying for like 20 years. And we came in, a bunch of us, and got it in in six months. It was actually seven years to the today that we got the stop sign in. Congratulations. And yeah, we feel very proud of it. Uh, you know, 20 years trying. You know, anybody who's tried to get in a stop sign knows how hard that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was asked to run for council. I was like, well, a stop sign's a horrible qualification for local government. <laughs> um, and so um, I got on the planning commission and discovered this untapped love of land use. Um, and it was an all-male planning commission. So there were five men making decisions about everything in our built environment in Encinitas. And I was like, it was, you know, back then it was 2015. And so it's like, you know, in no way should one gender maybe making all decisions about land use or traffic or stop signs or anything. Or anything. Like or anything. Um, and so I got on the planning commission and loved it. And so then I did run for council in 2016 and beat out a Republican incumbent and uh, um, Pete Wilson's stepson, which was a huge accomplishment. And, Loved being on council, you know, it was, it was great um, to have that public service. And I never thought I wanted to do that, right? Like I had, you know, I, I worked for corporates. I, you know, made a lot of money doing other things. And so, but the, re, you know, it was so personally rewarding for somebody to come with, to me with some issue around parking or a culvert or, you know, people come to you with all sorts of things when you're on city council. Um, and it was so rewarding to be able to work intelligently through with them. What are their real issues? How can we be effective as a city and make real change? And then in 2017, they were looking for a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. I'm in a partisan race. 
Um, and um, they were looking for somebody to run. I was like, sure, I'll run, which is in retrospect kind of like a crazy ambitious thing to do because it was really, really, really hard. And uh, But I won, and I think I found the thing I meant to do in life in the State Assembly. I get to help so many people and make so many good policies. And, you know, working with people like you, Rachel, to, or, you know, any of my chambers or any of our nonprofits, we have so many good nonprofits and so many community heroes here. It is just one of the most rewarding things I can do as a public servant is to really lift up the voices and the needs of people in the community. So I'm very fortunate and very grateful that I have this opportunity. And it all started with a stop sign. And it all started with a stop sign. Okay. Do you ever, uh, when you drive by that stop sign, do you like take a pause and acknowledge like this is the thank you stop sign? Well, so we went from maybe 20 kids walking or biking to school um, in 2014 and now 250 kids walk or bike to school. Wow. And that's so a huge impact. It's a huge, huge impact. Well, so we needed the stop sign to change the traffic flow. Once we changed the traffic flow, we got a queuing lane, which is like a half a million dollar investment in a largely neglected school in Lucadia. And it's, it's one of our Title I schools in, in Encinitas. And so it had a huge impact. So it was like a series of things that we did. But Maya now uses it every day. But like just the volume of people who it's affected and their quality of life and our farmer's market's also there. So it helps improve safety. We've had fewer accidents, you know, so you're keeping people safe and getting people to walk and bike. And, and we live in a beautiful place where people really, if they have the infrastructure, will choose to walk and bike. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. So um, you mentioned briefly about, about Germany and I know you lived abroad. How did that experience shape your work as a public servant? Well, I think it's really interesting. I actually, when I went to Germany, I was just going to do my dissertation, which actually I never finished. I, I met my husband and uh, uh, fell in love and had to choose between love and dissertation um, and ended up staying there for 12 years and having really great opportunities. Uh, that's where I worked for Deutsche Telekom, which is the parent company of T-Mobile. Um, and I worked with a not, lot of nonprofits. I did a lot of consulting. I, in fact, I consulted um, with a public-private partnership with the World Health Organization on eradicating and neglected diseases, which I never thought was going to be relevant in the state assembly until we had the pandemic. And then, you know, I was able to do things that a lot of people couldn't do because it gives me that experience. So I think I had a breadth of experience, um, but also I was a foreigner. It's really hard to get German citizenship. So even though I lived there for 12 years, I was married to a German citizen, had two children. I never qualified for German citizenship. So I know what it is to live in a country where that's not my native language and you know, um, and and to be a foreigner where you, you have different concerns. And so I think that experience, and, and both my children were born there. So my when we moved back here in 2012, my uh, son went, you know, we put him in school and he was an English um, language learner. And so he wasn't mainstreamed until the end of second grade. So I think like it's given me inadvertently a lot of different personal experiences mm-hmm. that make me able to connect with a lot more constituents mm-hmm. than I think you would think about when you first look at me. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. Um, so what about being a parent? I mean, obviously you were, you wanted to put in a stop sign because of your kids and, yeah. and the experience there, but how else has being a mom impacted the work that you do? do does it impact the policy that you want to create and the ideas that you have? I think, well, being a mom fundamentally changed who I was. It made me a more compassionate person. I think anybody who's had children and, you know, puts somebody else above themselves um, has that experience. And so I think that did fundamentally change who I am as a person. Um, but also a lot of the policies I, I look at, I do a lot of work on education and education budget. Um, like we passed one of the most impactful education budgets just uh, a few weeks ago in June. Um, and we are moving California from the bottom third in the United States for per, pure, per pupil education funding to the top quarter. Amazing. And, and that is because not only me, but a bunch of parents have gotten elected in the last four years. And so we all see the differences. And especially if you look at my district right now, you have some schools that they get a lot of their funding from property taxes and some schools that need some extra help. And Vista Unified is one of those school districts that needs some extra help. And looking and really working with my local trustees, working with my superintendents, working with my teachers, working with parent groups, I've been able to really advocate for those changes at the state level. And I wouldn't do that without those connections. But it's, you know, I think it's also because I'm a mom and I see 
my kids have a garden at school and, and they learn science by planting sunflowers and looking at, you know, the ecosystem and they're learning that. And why do they have the opportunity in Encinitas Union High School or Encinitas Union, but maybe not everybody has that in Vista. We, you look at that mm-hmm. kind of equity issue and as a parent, I see that, but also during the pandemic, you saw schools that were open, schools that were not open. My daughter, who she was in third grade, fourth grade, third grade, um, when the pandemic hit, um, by the beginning of fourth grade, she was already back in hybrid um, two days a week. Mm-hmm. So many districts throughout the state never o- reopened. And there is an equity issue on who was able to reopen, which means there's going to be an equity issue and what we call learning lag, right? Right, the the kind of the lag in learning, and so I really worked with. Um, I used to be the assistant uh, majority leader for policy and research in the assembly, which means I was the nerd of the assembly, which is a very good job for me. Um, I was queen of the nerds, and we did a publication for the Assembly Democratic Caucus on how do we, what is the literature and science tell us about how do we best combat learning lag? And there's like a very prescriptive thing, like these are the best practices. So I took, you know, the findings of that and went to all my school districts and I said, this is what we need to do. And then six months later, I checked. It was like, are you doing it? And they are. But I hope every assembly member takes that initiative to really be involved in the community to make sure every kid can succeed like my kids can succeed. So I think parents, you know, and then obviously I'm a very big environmentalist and I said it before, if you want to save the planet, everybody has to believe climate change is real. Um, and so I look at it not through my lens because we're not going to suffer the worst impacts of the mm-hmm. climate crisis. It will be our children. And I know you're a mom too. And that, you know, when you look at extreme heat, when you look at sea level rise, I am fortunate enough to chair the select committee on sea level rise in the California economy. And that's going to affect not only our coastal tourism, but it's going to affect goods transport. Like we think there's like a, basically the the San Diego, San Luis Obispo Rail corridor is the second busiest rail corridor in the entire United States. And so you look at how that would impact it and how does it impact homes and schools and infrastructure. And it's a really big problem. So I do a lot of work on the environment. Um, and that's probably directly a fact of not only my values, but the fact that I'm a mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've had the privilege of interviewing a few elected officials on the podcast and almost Every single person talks about their connection to their children or to children in general impacting the work that they do mm-hmm. and thinking about leaving this place better for who's behind us. And so I think that's a really important um, important thing to say to say and to and to feel and to to do. So that's great. We want to invite you to listen to the same business different day podcast where we sit down with business owners, entrepreneurs and great minds to talk about their stories and how they got to be as successful as they are today. If you're a business owner, this is the show for you. You get the tips and tricks from people just like yourself. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur, this is the show for you. You get to hear from some of the best storytellers about their journeys. If you're an avid podcast listener, this is the show for you. We release every Tuesday morning on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to Same Business, Different Day. We make this show just for you. Hi, it's Carrie from Solitube Home in Vista, California. If you're looking for ways to brighten and cool your home, we are your natural light and fresh air experts. We offer a selection of daylighting and ventilation products to help make your home beautiful and comfortable. And the best part of all is you won't be using any electricity to brighten up. We can bring beautiful, natural light into those dark spaces in your home, transforming them into beautifully lit spaces in less than two hours. No mess, no fuss, just amazing natural light to make your home look and feel great. If you're looking to cool off your home, we have a complete line of ventilation products to keep your home and garage cool. We want to make cooling and refreshing your home easier and more energy efficient than ever with our line of whole house fans, solar attic fans, and garage fans. Our certified installers carry the full line of Solitube daylighting and ventilation products on their vans at all times. Installation can usually be done in about two hours. No messy drywall, paint repair, structural changes, or re-roofing needed. It's pretty much the easiest home improvement project you'll ever take on. At Solitube Home, we offer no-obligation appointments throughout Southern California. Visit our website at solitubehome.com 
or stop by our showroom conveniently located in Vista at 2210 Oak Ridge Drive, or give us a call, 619-375-1629. We look forward to brightening your day. Um, Okay, so what is the absolute, your most favorite, favorite thing about being an assembly member? Like, what's the very best part? You know, I think before the pandemic, I would say it was being able to pass good legislation. Okay. Like I write a lot of my own bills, and that's not so common mm-hmm. as you would think. Um, and so I, one of my first bills was a bill, um, AB 467. I wrote it with Corey Schumacher, who was a council member in Carlsbad and three-time world champion surfer. Um, and we wrote it, and it basically says you can't pay female athletes less than male athletes on athletic contests on state lands, which, you know, this was 2019. Like mm-hmm. It was like, for you, I think for normal people, we're like, that's a no-brainer. Why would you pay? There's nothing less enjoyable about watching women surf or skateboard than watching men surf or skateboard, right? But it's how the industry was kind of constructed. And we said, okay, private sector is one thing, but on public land, on state land, this is going to be our policy. And, and being able to do that kind of work that impacts generations. Um, and, you know, look, we have the San Diego Waves now as our, uh, women's soccer team down here. And I was talking with uh, some of their their organizers and uh, they were like, that's amazing that you were able to do that. And it's just this, it's just all these things that we could do around sustainability and opportunity and equity. During the pandemic, I think that changed a little bit. You know, I think, as I said, I used to consult with the uh, public-private partnership with the World Health Organization. And so when the pandemic hit, I actually knew about policies around pandemics. Like I knew how long it was going to last. So I asked the speaker for permission to go and use what my skill set is, which is to talk to people, figure out what's likelihood going to happen and how to change policies to make it better for Californians. That's like where my skill set is. And so I interviewed 10 economists and I was like, what's going to be the impact of the pandemic on housing, on policies, on healthcare, and on this? And basically inadvertently predicted all the opening and closing of the pandemic um, and you were the first person I heard uh, in one of our committee meetings talking about the oscillating economy and like yeah. the opening and closing. And I remember bringing that back to my board and saying, I heard about this concept, like things are going to open, things are going to close, things are going to, and we were all like, okay, how can we be prepared? How yeah. can we support our businesses? If this is what's going to happen, how can we be yeah. prepared for that? And so you were the first person that I had heard use those words. Yes. And that is, uh, thank you for remembering that. I think people thought I was kind of crazy when I did it. Cause I'm, it was, I, maybe I did a little bit. Yeah. It was like <laughs> May of 2020 or yeah. June of 2020. And I think everybody was like, really, really, is that what we're going to do? Um, but it was like, you know, I just collected the information from economists, kind of put it into like a model. Um, but we were able to do things in the office. So we had a webinar with my friend, Cindy Darlington, um, on how can restaurants, she does a lot of restaurant marketing work. Um, and work with restaurant promotion. And so she's like, how do restaurants survive the pandemic? You know, how do our small businesses survive the pandemic? And there were small things that businesses could adjust. And you're going to see them. A lot of our small businesses, a lot of our restaurants still offer takeout. And, you know, because there's just a different profitability when you shift things, right? We still allow takeaway alcoholic drinks, right? We're still allowing the outdoor dining, which it's kind of crazy. We should have always allowed outdoor dining everywhere because, I mean, we live in a beautiful place and I always say we don't really have weather, mm-hmm. right? It's like warm, warmer, slightly less warm, right? I, like, I barely have eaten inside a restaurant yeah. at all because there's so many options to be outside and it, we have such beautiful weather. Exactly. Why so it's not we? even related to the pandemic anymore, but mm-hmm. it's related to that's a quality of life issue. So with that, I was able to do a lot of that. Um, I remember the, you know, Thanksgiving 2020, um, it, you know, it must have been the day after Thanksgiving. It was like nine o'clock at night. Our budget chair, Phil Ting, called me up and said, Tasha, you had that idea for small business grants. Like, can you tell me what the parameters were? I was like, it's nine o'clock at night and I've had two glasses of wine, Phil. I'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> um, but then I called them back and I had done some, you know, I had interviewed these economists. I had done some research on what other states were doing, what other countries were doing, and kind of came up with what ended up being billions of dollars that went to our small business grants. You know, and was, you know, I'm fortunate to sit on the legislative coordinating group Um, with the governor's office. So I was able to say, like, look, this isn't working. This is working. What about, you know, school reopening? And I was able to do a lot of that. Um, And so that's been rewarding to just be in a position where I can take the real problems from my district. And my district's kind of different. Like, Vista's different than Encinitas. Yeah, we're different. Oceanside's different than Carl's. But Camp Pendleton has a whole different set of issues. 
you know, and so, and if I would say if something works in our district, it probably works in most places in the state, maybe not in Los Angeles, right? Maybe not in San Francisco, but for most areas of the state, it'll work. And just to be able to take the experience that I have working with community leaders, working with local electeds, working with my cities and school districts back to the state has been super rewarding. And then there's the hundreds of people that we helped with uh, the EDD, right? Getting their unemployment benefits. And that was just such a struggle. I know my staff, they were really worn out to hear story after story of people really struggling. So there's there's that. And then now as we come out of the pandemic, we still have impacts, right? I just got an audit approved a couple of weeks ago for um, to audit uh, San Diego Gas and Electric and the CPUC, which regulates and approves rate increases. Because San Diego has the highest utility rates in all of the continental United States. And in fact, before April, we had the you know, we were higher than Hawaii. And so really looking at how did these rate increases happen? How did it end up that a place with very little weather ends up playing the highest utility rates? I mean, we're not using natural gas like North Dakota is, right? Like that's not what we're doing. And so to be able to have that, I mean, I'm not sure who thought it was a great idea to give me subpoena power, but I was like, thank you for giving me subpoena power. I'll, <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go audit lots of people. Um, and so I was really, I think I'm just in that position. So like when I say I found the thing I'm meant to do in life, those are all the things that I mean. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like your work is, is very personally fulfilling and impactful to lots of people, but it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. So what are what are some things that are hard about it? I mean, the hardest thing I'd have to say is being away from the kids. Mm-hmm. I'm in, you know, from January, from January until end of August, middle of September, depending on the year, you know, we'll get one summer, or one week in spring where we're back in the district. We get four weeks in summer where we're back in the district. Um, and the rest of the time, Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday, I'm in Sacramento away from my kids. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I think is challenging. I have to say the first couple months I was in the assembly, I got a call from my daughter every night crying. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you know, she was, she was what, 10? No. She was eight when I first got elected. And that's pretty young. Mm-hmm. And I I knew the trade-off. You know, we were just talking about this last night at dinner. Like there'll be things from this time that they'll remember and they'll say, I wish it wasn't like that. But there'll be things from this time when I'm in the assembly where they're like, Thank God my mom did that work, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. now the conversation at dinner is like, you know, on Sunday nights when I'm saying, okay, Maya, I'm I'm going to Sacramento tomorrow. Maya will say, are you going to pass good laws? And I look at her, I'm like, I always pass the best laws, Maya. She's mm-hmm. like, then you could go to Sacramento. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, whether or not it's Maya or my son, Mate, who's 14, for them to see their mother going and affecting change will fundamentally change what they see as the impact of government. And so as much as it's hard, and it's personally hard to be away, and it's personally hard to, you know, have basically two places that you're sleeping, um, I think at the end of the day, it's worth it, but it doesn't mean it's less difficult. Right. Do you think that's why, I mean, you mentioned earlier that there were more parents that have been elected recently mm-hmm. the last few years. Do you think that's why is because it is so impactful on families to serve in this role? And that maybe parents have realized the sacrifice is worth it because the work is so mm-hmm. needed right now. I mean, do you- I think there's something about that. I think I think what what we've seen since 2016 is more parents concerned about the future of their kids and willing to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's on the climate side, whether that's a partisan issue, um, I think that's why I ran. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ran because I wanted to save the planet for our kids, and so kind of fundamental thing, right? Mm-hmm. And where can I have the most impact on that? Um, and I saw a lot of laws from the state that maybe needed to, some amendments, needed some tweaking, maybe we did different laws to ensure a better future for our children. Um, but, I, you know, it's interesting. In my class that came in, I think we had seven people in my class. No, we had eight people in my class of people that came in in 2018 to the assembly, and seven of us are parents. Mm-hmm. And... How we view the world, I mean, people with, who choose not to have children are equally good legislators. No of course. Question. It's just a different perspective. Of course. Right? Um, and so, but it's interesting because we'll go and there'll be certain bills um, that are coming through the assembly and the parents will get together and be like, you know, I had this experience with my kids. And they're like, yeah, I had this experience. And so then we can go to our colleagues and be like, look, we're not comfortable with this as parents. And I can't, you know, I talk to lots of moms and dads and 
parents. Um, and so, you know, I go back and I'm like, yeah, I've talked to like normal parents and, you know, they're not on board with this. Can we change it to this? Mm-hmm. Um, and that author gets to choose whether they take the amendments or not because we're just requesting it. But when you have multiple parents, like we, for example, a great um, example of the impact that more parents in the assembly has had is we passed a bill in 2019. It was the third year it had been run. It had been vetoed the previous two years. I don't know. It had been vetoed. The first year, it never got out of the House of Origin. Second year, it was vetoed. And third year in 2019 with the new governor, it came back. And it is requiring middle schools to not start before 8 a.m. and high schools not to start before 8.30 a.m. And there's a scientific reason on that. It's like how young people's brains are developing, how much sleep they need. There are all these arguments actually related to sports that like sports would go too late at night. And I was like, well, you know, you're talking about mental health of children um, versus a half hour later sports. Like, I don't know about you, but like that trade off, I would say mental health of children far exceeds maybe some children um, or some young adults um, choosing to play sports in the evening. That was like one of the biggest things. But when the entire state does it, then everybody's on the same schedule. So then you don't have that problem. Uh, and was, so, wasn't this bill also up for, it was on a ballot. It was a ballot measure or no? no this, it wasn't. This okay. is something we put through, um, it was through the legislature. So the third year it came through, it was run by uh, the Senate Approach Chair, Anthony Portentino, and he's a parent. And he came to me and I had just gotten elected. And he's like, Tasha, I have this bill in late start. I was like, oh yeah, the science and that is super clear. Like there's no way, you know, my son should be like leaving for school when it's still dark out. That's insane. Like we should be fixing this. Um, and so we got it through the assembly and he was so grateful to this day. He says, if it weren't, weren't for me and the new parents that came in, we would have not had that bill passed. And that goes into effect this year. So my son, instead of having to be at school four days a week at 745, 750, now, you know, can, he still has to go to bed at the same time, but he gets to go to school at 830 and it's going to have a huge impact on really, you know, on suicide rates of kids, on mental health, on happiness, depression. You know, we know anxiety and depression are things that lead to drug use and early alcohol use. We know that, we know all that science is clear. But that's a direct impact of parents getting elected to the assembly. Absolutely. I will say one thing about that bill that has has been triggered from that is the obvious need for better transportation yeah. for students to school. Because mm-hmm. if mom and dad have to be at work yes. at 8, but then you don't go to school till 8.30 or 9, how are you getting to school? So that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I think has come up specifically in VISTA around this issue. And when the school district was trying to decide the exact start times for different schools, like, for example, my daughter's middle school will now start at 9 a.m. Oh, but that's because of busing. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And so if you don't have an opportunity to take your kiddo to school yourself, Mm -hmm. how can you do that? So people are are now trying to figure that piece out. Well, we just put in the state budget money for school, uh, home to school transportation. And that was exactly the segue (laughs) I was going for. So let's talk a little bit about the budget. And you mentioned some of the things regarding education. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I mean, our education budget is phenomenal. We're doing the most. We're helping mental health. We're doing the home to school transportation. Um, you know, we're continuing to do what's really important in Vista, which is the funding the pre-K um, and universal pre-K. And one of the problems with universal pre-K, it's Vista doesn't seem to have this problem so much as Carlsbad and Encinitas do, um, as just kind of how schools are and how districts are created. Um, but we put money in there to to raise that funding and some flexibility for universal pre-K, which I think is really important. Um, you know, but specifically I've been able to advocate very effectively for funding for projects in my district and I'll focus just today on Vista. Um, and so we've got about $12 million over the last three years. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Four years, but there was no funding in 2020. So, um, and the 2020 budget for individual, um, projects, but so for three years, we got about 12 million in, uh, 22, 23 in this last budget. We got um, 1.6 for the Luce Duran Park Community Center, which I think is really important. Super important. I mean, parks are, you know, and and you look at this in every city in the state of California, and it's always the same. In your lowest income communities, you have fewer trees and fewer parks. But that's probably where you're best served, putting parks and trees and community uh, centers. And so we work with the city of Vista to get that done, 1.6 million. We got 1.4 million 
for public EV charging uh, projects. Huge. So it's a huge thing. I mean, we're the state's not going to sell combustion engine cars after 2030. I mean, I was talking to Audi and they said they're no longer designing combustion engine cars after 2025. They know the market's not there. But my concern is if people don't have the means to charge at home, say they live in an apartment, they have an assigned spot that doesn't have a plug. Right. How are they going to go to an EV? And so the answer is these public charging stations. And so I was really happy to get that 1.4 for the public EV charging station project here in Vista. And that's this year's budget, right? That's in this year's budget. Right. Okay. So that will be rolling out in the, you know, those both of those two things will be Probably depending on the state agencies, some state agencies take longer to distribute the money, some right. are faster. So that'll be coming somewhere in the next three to nine months. Um, in last year's budget, um, we got $5 million to replace the old um, Taylor Street fire station. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the I fire station. I am very familiar with it, yes. And it's really important because it serves the entire Vista Fire Protection District. They right. have local money and they just needed money to finish it. Mm-hmm. And so we we're so happy to get that $5 million. We got $3.5 million for the Civic Center Solar Project. You know, that's like putting in solar so that reduces costs, saves taxpayers money at the end of the day. And we got 600000 for the Brengel Terrace Park Well. Mm-hmm. One of the things with having trees and green spaces, which we want, and it's a you know sign of quality of life, is watering costs. And right. we know we're going to be going through, you know, intense periods of rainfall, atmospheric rivers, flooding, and then longer periods of drought. And so how do you retain water in this park well when you have those floods to use it in times of dryness? So we're really happy about that. Um, and then my first year, I got 250000 to address and prevent homelessness. I got a million dollars with 250000 for each of my cities, which, you know, the timing of that exactly coincided with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we were able to house people and get people off the streets in a time when they really shouldn't have been on the streets. And so, yeah. and I mean, the timing, I, I didn't intend that when I asked for the budget, but that was the impact. And so we helped hundreds of people do that. And it was interesting because I worked with the city of Vista and they're like, we want to do this and we want to do this and we want to do this. And I was like, this is how much it costs to prevent homelessness. This is how much it costs to get somebody on the street. It's always cheaper to prevent homelessness. But then you're doing things like, I'm going to help you with your first and last. Right. I'm going to help you on your back rent. And some of that stuff can be controversial, but at some point, keeping people from getting off the street, especially those people with kids, because I just don't think there's a way that kids um, who get on the street ever come out without significant trauma. Mm-hmm. And that has li- lifelong lasting impact. Right. And we already know we have 3,310 homeless or near homeless children in Vista Unified. And really helping and working with the school district on that was hugely important, I think. Um, because the best return on investment, helping those kids now is the best return on investment for their entire trajectory in life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the city's done a good job with their strategic plan to address homelessness mm-hmm. and partnering with all of the different resources, agencies. I think they're doing a good job. I mean, there's always more work to be done, always. Um, and, but I've seen, especially in the last few years, um, since I joined the chamber in 2019, um, just an, more of an investment on staff time, um, resources, infrastructure, all of that. So that's that's really good. So thanks for for helping with all of those projects. Some really great things that are happening, and it's nice to know that there's um, more ahead because um, you know Luzerne Park. That's that's a great that one's a great one too. So it's, it's a, a great project. It's a great project in a in a neighborhood that needs it, and it will really be impactful for a lot of people. So that's good. Okay, so I have to talk, ask you about the Arts, Entertainment, Sports, Tourism, and Internet Media Committee. What does this committee do? What do they so do? I th- we think it's actually a joke uh, that they gave me. You need a com- an acronym. No, it doesn't. We were, we're, we, we've worked on it. Everything sounds weird. Okay. Um, but it's funny. We think they gave me a committee name longer than my actual name. Okay. So we think okay. it was like a joke in the speaker's office. Okay, got it. Um, but no, it's actually great. I mean, my my uh, of the arts, entertainment, sports, tourism, and internet media components, I'm strongest in internet media, tourism, and arts. Like I've had to go and learn um, the whole entertainment industry. We had a couple of bills coming through my committee that were really, and it was fascinating. It's like intellectual, I'm an intellectually curious person. So it's fascinating to learn the entertainment industry and the recording industries, business models and how things would affect them and all of that. Um, but arts, you know, we were able to get millions of dollars to expand cultural arts districts in the state of California. 
We got $3.5 billion in the state budget. That was me as chair um, for arts, world languages, world culture, um, and STEM instructional materials. Because we have this new Common Core curriculum on all those things. Right. And we know, I mean, especially when you look at arts and culture and language, we know early education in those areas, whether it's music or art, um, have a lasting impact on brain development. But there are often things that especially... School districts that are struggling with trade-offs leave out. Mm-hmm. And so it's important not only to have the curriculum for it, but the funding of the materials for that so they're updated. Uh, and, you know, I'm speaking as a mother of two bilingual children, so I obviously think that, you know, speaking a second language is, like I look at with my kids, it's, it, their brains are wiredly, wired differently than mine. And I had to learn. I spent like 20 years learning German. I still make mistakes. Um, and both of them are bilingual. I make so. mistakes in English. We don't don't talk about that, Rachel. (laughs) But, you know, so I've been able to do a lot of work on that. Um, In October, we're looking at doing a cultural arts district tour um, because we want to expand them. And so we want to see how, especially um, with areas that kind of have been left out of the cultural arts district or maybe are bringing up different aspects of California history and culture, um, you know, how do we raise that up? Um, And so, you know, being able to do that work on the arts is super impactful and I love it. But when you look at tourism, I mean, I was talking about like sea level rise, impact on tourism, pandemic, impact on small businesses, restaurants, grants, tourism. So I have a lot of of passion around tourism and how it relates to economic development. It's still going to take a while for international tourism to come back. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. It's always my appeal. So I'm going to use your podcast for this appeal is rather than go to Europe, rather than go to Asia, spend your money in California. We have so many assets. We are a gorgeous state. Um, If you want to go up to the woods, we have our redwoods. We have the sequoias. We have Yosemite. Um, If you want to go to the beach, well, we're right here. Um, But there are also gorgeous beaches on the central coast. If you want to go visit a big city, there's San Diego, there's LA, there's San Francisco. Um, You know, there's so many opportunities to be outdoors and active. I mean, really, I think all the things that we offer are things that are great family experiences, but great experience for older Californians as well as, you know, young, you know, Gen Z couples um, to just experience life. Because a lot of the tourism is going, um, rather than consumer tourism, people are going to experiential tourism. Right. And you see that in, like, what kind of restaurants we have. And you see that in the village, how the Vista Village has um, evolved, right? You're seeing Mm -hmm. a lot more experiential um, type of tourism um, and that's related to like a lot of the breweries here. I mean, Vista isn't just like a North County brewery hub. It is a San Diego County brewery hub. And it's amazing what that really can do for our economy. So I'm I'm very focused on the tourism part as well. Yeah, cool. Hello, friends. This is Joe Samo from the Samo Law Group. I am the host of Run It By My Lawyer. Over the years, I've had so many people that have had legal issues and legal questions and legal concerns. And I always, over the more than 20 years, I've been telling people, before you sign anything, before you do anything, if you have a problem, just run it by my lawyer, <laughs> right? Just run it by me. And now I have a podcast doing just that. You can call me, you can email me, any questions you have. I love hearing from people and answering legal questions. And on our podcast, we've talked about uh, everything from free speech, uh gun rights, you know, anything you want to discuss, employment rights, everything. So you have an issue, you know, run it by my lawyer and watch this podcast. You'll be entertained and you'll learn the law. Love to see you. You can find me anywhere. Okay. Uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, whatever you want. And if you can't find me on some platform, let me know and I'll come find you. All right. Thank you. At JNR Auto Body and Paint, you don't have to worry about a thing from minor dents and dings to major collision repair. We offer a worry, hassle-free experience with superior customer service. Our auto claim advisors work directly with your insurance company, so you don't have to deal with the headaches. Our certified technicians work on all makes and models to get your repair done right the first time. We stand behind our work with a lifetime warranty. Locally and family-owned, JNR Auto Body is here to serve the community. Call us today at 760-724-4923. Okay. Um, so I know you serve on several other committees. You mentioned a couple. Is there anything that you want to mention about any of them that you think people really need to know and understand? 
Gosh, um, some of them are very technical, like I said, on communications and conveyance. And that's a lot of like what we do with expanding broadband. Yeah. Um, And so we've done a lot of bills recently to expand broadband because, I mean, I think we always knew about the digital divide before. Uh, it was pandemic. so highlighted during pandemic. It, it and was it was crazy. just, but it came to such a spotlight. And mm-hmm. so we're doing a lot of work on that. And so on that committee, I'm really looking at how we're, there's something called the middle mile. It's kind of technical. So the problem with that committee is it's very technical. So, you know, if you're listening, you just, this is boring, then skip ahead, you know. Um, but, you know, we have this middle mile. So you have um, the last mile, mm-hmm. which is getting it from these large broadband networks to your home. And we do have some do- what we call donuts. Like we have pockets where you don't have really great broadband. And, you know, we have one in Vista and we have one in Oceanside. And they're directly related to the equity involved, right? That's just what it is. And so then we have middle mile projects. And we've invested billions of dollars in those middle mile projects. And so part of our job in that committee is the oversight to make sure that's the best use of taxpayer money. Okay. Um, I also sit on local government where, you know, I do believe in local control. I believe that we should, you know, look at some of our laws are really old and need to be updated. Um, but, you know, how do we appropriately give the right incentives to cities to make good decisions on the environment or opportunity or or, um, or on equity issues and still give them local control? So how do we balance that? Um, I said in aging and long term care and a lot of that it's implementing our aging master plan. And how do we keep those seniors who can stay in their home aging in their home mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, really look at our senior living facilities. A lot of the skilled nursing facilities, if anybody listening had um, a parent or a grandparent, a skilled uh, nursing facility during the pandemic, they know there were struggles there. So we're trying to kind of correct that. Um, I also sit on military and veteran affairs, which is super important. I think in San Diego County, but definitely because I represent Camp Pendleton. And we're still working. There's, a, there's you know, um, there's always the issue of how do we keep veterans when they retire in California. And so there's different proposals that we hear. Um, sometimes they make it out of our committee, but don't make it out of the Senate or don't get signed by the governor. So we're working constantly on that. Um, and I do do a lot of work locally with my Blue Star families, a lot of the spouses mm-hmm. um, who they're stationed here for a couple of years. So we're always looking for opportunities um, to look at how do we have cross-state qualifications. Right. So if somebody moves from Arizona here or somebody moves from Tennessee uh, to Camp Pendleton, how can that spouse still continue to do their job? And how are we making sure those kids feel integrated in our society? We have a lot of great nonprofits uh, doing that work. But I mean, also when people come out of Pendleton and they want to stay in this area because it is a gorgeous place. And we do have a lot of veterans throughout our community. um, How do we help them transition? So we've been working with Pendleton on those transition programs. And those are types of things that I do. And obviously the joint legislative audit I mentioned before is a very powerful committee um, because you have subpoena power and the state auditor goes in and they really look in depth on all the different issues in a way that I don't think me and my staff, even with my committee staff, could ever approach that level of thoroughness. Right. And then you get really concrete recommendations, what we as the legislature can do to address the problem. So you know, I think there's all that work on those committees, and obviously the select committee on sea level rise is super important uh, to San Diego County. It's a lot. It's a lot. I do a lot of things. Yeah, I do a do. lot of things, and that's not even counting the committees I'm not on on right. bills that I you know I read every bill, and so you know all the bills that I read that I'm not on the committee on. So I have to read the committee, you know, read the bill, read the committee analysis, look at you know how my constituents have written in. I take a lot of meetings with constituents and. And groups and nonprofits who are advocating for one position or another and try to make the best decision that really matches our district. Well, and I know you're just you're a normal human person, so it's hard to do all this work by yourself. Mm-hmm. So I know you have an amazing team. Yes. And I want to just shout out your team as well because um because I know that a lot of the work that you do comes from their support and input and the work that they do in the district. And so um I I really appreciate all the work that your team does and the ways that they're engaged with the chamber. Uh, but did you want to say anything about the constitu- constituent services that happen at your office and what your team does there? Oh, thank you. I appreciate you bringing that up. I do have an amazing team. I am so fortunate that, that Sulema Balderas, who is the field rep for Visto, or Janet Chen, who's my district director. Um, and I also have a Sacramento team as well. So I have a chief, I have a ledge director, I have a ledge aide. Um, and as a committee chair, I have a committee consultant. Um, and so everybody is makes this work, right? This is not something that one person could ever do and manage in a state of 40 million people. 
Um, and one of the things that we are, we always do is we help anybody with any state agency problems. Okay. Typical ones are unemployment, EDD. Um, sometimes people have insurance issues that are related to state, uh, the state insurance commissioner, um, and then DMV. Mm-hmm. Those are like the three most common things that we hear in our office. But if it's any state agency that people are having a problem with, we can help out. And what my office also does is because we're always out in the community, and not all of our councils. I think only Oceanside has council members who have an aid um, because they are the third largest city in San Diego County. Um, and so what we also do is when people come to us and it's not uh, a, a state issue, say it's a city issue or a county issue or a federal issue, we work, in fact, across party lines to see, you know, how do we, mm-hmm. you know, ensure that that issue is being handled by that office and make sure we give the person, um, you know, a warm handoff to the uh, you know the other agency whether whether it's uh, local or federal you know so we try to work with everybody to provide those services because I know at the end of the day people just see government as government they right. often don't inf- differentiate between this is a school district issue or this is a city issue or this is state or this is county or this is federal like people just like I have this issue right can you help me solve it and my staff is excellent at doing that um, you know where our office is actually you know I think fifteen minutes away in, in Carlsbad. Um, uh, on State Street there uh, in downtown. And so it's really easy to access, uh, whether it's with public transportation or a call. And, you know, we uh, are always able to meet people in person or or do Zooms. A lot of people prefer to do Zooms because yep. they don't have to take the transit time, right? They can take a break from work, have a Zoom at that time, and then get back to work because most people have working lives, right? Most people are off doing things. They're not thinking about, you know, how do I accommodate my schedule for the government? They're thinking, how does this work for us? And right. we try to accommodate everybody and however we can. Yeah, good. And, I, and I, you know, I know that the services that your office can help with are both individual issues mm-hmm. or business issues mm-hmm. and things like that. We get a lot of calls at the chamber, too. I mean, we're a hub for connecting people with government, um, particularly our business owners and our members. Um, and so we get calls about different issues, and, and we, can, we also can hand them off to the, different, the correct you know, a mm-hmm. warm handoff to the correct agency. But oftentimes people will, um, they don't know. They don't know who to call. So it's nice to know that your team is educated and willing to to have that customer service face and, and help people out. So that's great. And I want to say, I'm so grateful for you because I know, you know, on my office and you work really closely together. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of different webinars, whether, you know, sometimes it's bike safety and sometimes it's like, how do we help small businesses? Like we did a whole series of small business grant webinars uh, during the pandemic when the, the, they were being rolled out so people knew. And we couldn't have gotten the reach without partnering with you know, the Vista Chamber and in our other chambers. So really appreciate you working with us. Of course. It's I mean, that's right. what makes yeah. us better, right? Collaboration. Like that's, that's what makes us all better. Like if we just, you know, let everything else go and say, this is where we are and we all want to help people, then you can get to so much more. You can accomplish so much more. Agree completely. Thank you. I appreciate working with you and your team too. So, okay. Um, any last thing you want anyone to know about your work, your team, anything we didn't cover? We covered a lot. We cover a lot. Yeah. I think, you know, like 20, you know we, we said this before we started the podcast, that the two of us can talk forever about yeah. things. Um, I, I will I will leave out my favorite recipes and all the stuff that we also uh, connect on. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, if, if you have an issue or if, you know, I don't get lots of compliments, right? Like, I don't have people calling me like, great job, Tasha, or great job, Suleyma. Like, if you have something good to say, whether just being a problem, uh, let us know. If there's an area that you're curious about and you'd like more information about, we always partner with lots of different state agencies. Um, and so we could do webinars on that. We could do town halls on that. Really happy if anybody has any ideas. Um uh, if you Google Tasha, T-A-S-H-A, Berner, B-O-E-R-N-E-R, Horvath, H-O-R-V-A-T-H. I know. Actually, you just do probably Tasha and Assembly and you come up with my... I'll put a link in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, you put it in the link in show notes um, to our state page. We also, every fall, we collect ideas for new bills. And we always reach out with a program called Ought to Be a Law. There ought to be a law. Ought to be a law. And people have great ideas. We've run bills from people's ought to be a laws and they don't always work and they don't always move forward. But really, if there's something, you know, and and sometimes it's, you know, a state agency isn't implementing something correctly. So people are like, that ought to be a law. And we're like, that's actually a law, but they're not, you know, they need to be redirected to do this law. Right. Um, and so I think there's there's always that. So I would just encourage people to continue to be involved, uh, continue to reach out and let us know how we can better serve you. 
Awesome. Okay. So I always end every interview with a few rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hit you up right now. Um, So tell me a book you think everyone should read. Oh, a book everybody should read. Well, my favorite author is Bill Bryson because I have kind of an intense job. So I like light reading. Good. And Bill Bryson does a lot of, it's hilarious travel books. Okay. So there's Notes from a Small Island. One of my favorites that everybody should read is A Short History of Nearly Everything. Okay. It's hilarious. Like, it's like one of those things where you shouldn't read it at night because you're going to end up laughing and reading too long and then not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's what I would be. Okay. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. I'll add it to my list. I have not read any of his books, so hilarious. I'll check them out. Okay. Tell me a song you love. You've got to turn it up. You got to maybe dance, tap your toe. What's your jam? Well, I love, it's the one thing about being arts and entertainment chair that I love. I love music. Like, I couldn't have gotten personally through the pandemic without my playlist. Sure. So I'd have to say my top of it is Lake Street Dive and Call Off Your Dogs. It's a song that you cannot listen to without wanting to move and, okay. like, sing I've it never heard it. Yes. I've never heard it. I'm yes. going to listen to it immediately. Yes. It's okay. fantastic. Okay. Awesome. All right. Tell me something that inspires you. You know, what inspires me the most, I'd have to say, is my daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, she struggled in a way with sensory processing disorder. And for people who don't know what that is, it's um, a neurological disorder. So her brain misinterprets sensory information. So like you and I, we'd have a tag that super annoys us. And we'd be like, oh, that's annoying. I'm going to cut out the tag. Uh, For her, it sends her into fight or flight and she can't function. Yeah. And so watching her um, evolve from this three-year-old who couldn't wear clothes to a young woman, she's 11 years old, and being able, and, and her life is just fundamentally going to be harder than for you and I, mm-hmm. right? Um, and watching her, how she talks about it, how confident she is, and saying, you know, some things are harder for me, but I know that I can cope with this, and I will get through it. Yeah. And it might be harder, but that's okay. Yeah. Like, that is just, like... I mean, so wise at such a young age mm-hmm. and so inspiring. And she's so articulate about it, too, in mm-hmm. a way um, that, you know, most people don't ever have anything that triggers that kind of really nuanced uh, sensitivity. So yeah. I think she's probably one of the things that uh, people that inspire me most. It's a good one. It's a good one. That's a good one. I know. Okay. Last question. Tell me a Vista business that you think deserves a shout out and why? So my favorite, well, so there's two. I'm going to take two. Okay, okay. Okay. So you there's can. Shack's, which is my favorite restaurant here because I love Mediterranean the food. food is so and good. so good and so healthy. Um, we Whenever we go to, you know, Moonlight, we always go have dinner there first. Um, and then I love Belching Beaver Brewery. They, yeah. I drink, my my beer that I will always drink is a Hefeweizen. Okay. And they have an amazing half. And so, you know, shout out to them for making half a whites and not every brewery does. So. Yeah, Love it's it. a good one. It's, it's a, a good, good one. one. Yeah. It's a good one. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here, Tasha. It was so great to have you. And I really appreciate your time and learning all about the work that you're doing. So thank you to our guest, Assembly Member Tasha Berner Horvath. And thank you for listening to Velocity. If you like what you heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. Help us move Vista forward with Velocity. The Vista Chamber of Commerce is a nonprofit organization that serves as a catalyst for business growth. Visit us online at vistachamber.org.